0: Good morning. Um, West Lynchburg has done an amazing job with the Summer of Psalms. You guys have heard um, amazing scripture from the elders involving hope and power and love, um, and they did an amazing job. Um, today, I will be tasked with the most hopeless, depressing psalm in the entire Bible. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 88. Psalm 88. Verse 1 Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul has had enough troubles and my life has approached Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit and have become like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you no longer remember, and they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depths. Your wrath has rested upon me, And you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and I cannot go out. My eyes grow dim from misery. I have called upon you every day, Lord. I have spread out my hands to you. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Or will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Silah. Will your graciousness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness, and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, Lord, have cried out to you for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was miserable and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I grow weary. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encircled me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in a hiding place. That's dark, folks. That's hopeless. That's disparaging. I'll be really honest with you guys. Um, I didn't want to do this sermon today. I did not want my first sermon to be the most hopeless, dark, depressing psalm in the entire Bible. And I prayed. I said, God, give me something else for my first sermon. He's like, no, no. This is the one. You're going to do this one. I said, okay. And I prayed. and I said, God, what's the approach? What do you want me to do here? And I couldn't think of a thing until I read the preface. Some, some of you in your Bibles, right above Psalm 88, it has a little preface. And it gives you the writer of the psalm. The writer of the psalm was not David. It was Haman. Haman... Um, when you do your history on Haman and look at the author of the psalm, Haman the Ezraite came from the family of Korah. Um, Haman was present during the Ark of the Covenant when it was brought back to Jerusalem. Um, And he was the primary praise and worshiper to David. He was one of David's seers. One of David's most trusted men. He was one of the three main musicians that King David appointed for the ministry of prophesying according to musical instruments, he was a seer. And a seer in the Old Testament was a perceiver of hidden truth. And so, at some point, this made the cut. This made it to the final version of the Bible. This was approved by David and David related to this psalm. Not only did David relate to this psalm, but Haman saw this in David. So there was a connection here. There was a relatability here. So I said to myself, okay, what is that going to look like? And rather than doing a normal sermon today, I wanted to do something a little different. Um, I just graduated with my master's in divinity. And, yeah, yeah, that's right, clap. It was a lot, yes. Um, and it's a double master's with the National Christian Counselors Association um, because I'm a masochist, and I don't know why, but I decided to go for two masters. Um, and rather than bringing a normal sermon today, I wanted to do a differential diagnosis of David. So let's uncover and discover and expose this word that we have here, this this understanding that David, this darkness that Haman saw in David. Let's go back in time. Let's review David. Let's look at his history. Let's look at his educational background. Let's let's get into his head. Okay. Let's start with this, David's educational background. David's educational background. He was most likely homeschooled, as there were other kids in his time um, that. Um, grew up in the mountains of Bethlehem. He was a country boy, right? He was a farmhand. He was she- he was a shepherd. He was isolated as part of his um, as part of him growing up. Around thirteen, David was given hope. Back in time, remember, David um, uh, was um, prophesied to him that he was going to be the future king. And it was at a young age, right? So, but that didn't happen for years, right? So, let me ask you this question. Has anybody ever made a promise to you that didn't come true immediately? Or has God made a promise to you that didn't immediately come to pass? Yeah. Sometimes those promises are delayed, and that leaves a feeling of hopelessness and abandonment, thinking, God, why, why did you make this promise to me and it not come to pass? Right, So there's, there's feelings of abandonment there. Um, move forward. You have the famous story of David and Goliath, right? He was made, David was made fun of by foreign invaders twice his size who threatened to kill him at the age of 15 in front of his friends and family. What would that look like? That's trauma. That's injury. That's hurt. Has anybody ever made fun of you? Mm. Yeah. At a young age? Yeah. So, after we know the famous story of David slingshotting Goliath, if you keep reading on, David took his anger out and chopped Goliath's head off and put it in a bag and rode around with it for a few weeks. Right? He had all this compressed anger inside of him and he decided to take it out on Goliath. I think that qualifies as anger issues, don't you? I think so. Let's look at David's military background. The Bible says he killed 700 men in chariots and 40,000 horsemen. And anybody who's been to war realizes the effect that war has on a person. It's called PTSD, it's injury, it's trauma, it's hurt from being in war. He had to defend a revolt against his son who tried to take his throne. He was the, um, his son was the leader of some agents that tried to, uh, secret agents that tried to usurp his authority. So imagine the betrayal of your kids trying to take everything that you built. Ooh. That's hard. What about... Um, David's counselor. Have you ever had someone who tried who you confided in? Somebody who gave you counsel? Athithophel in 2 Samuel 15 was one of the original counselors to David. And he betrayed him to his own son. Yeah. Pain is real in David's life. It wasn't just a momentary feeling That trauma was with David for a while. David has a checkered history and past of of hurt. How about the trauma of killing people? Remember the song, um, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands, right? David's father-in-law tried to have him killed after playing a musical instrument to him and choked him against a wall who his best friend was his king. How does that work, right? Imagine the betrayal from, from that kind of vulnerability and, and not being safe, not having that emotional security. What was David's marital history? His first wife died after giving birth to one of his sons. How does that make you feel when you experience the grief and loss of a loved one? Right? Saul um, was furious with his daughter for having those feelings toward David. And part of his anger toward him, he married off his daughter to some other guy. Wow, that's, that's an As the World Turns episode, isn't it? Right? That's, that's what we're reading here. It's a soap opera. David became king. He reclaimed her, Michal, as his wife. Um, but she rebelled against David because he took her by force and the waiting time that he waited to get the woman that his heart longed for betrayed when she came back so he waited all that time for the woman he loved and then got spurned anybody relate to that story yeah let's keep going David's third wife um, she died at childbirth Has David Was David ever separated and filed for divorce? Yes. His first wife left him and went back to the first guy that the king gave him his daughter to. So all that wait time that David waited for, and he ended up alone anyway and filing for divorce. That's hurt. That's pain. What about substance abuse? David not only drank, but he got Uriah drunk so he could have... Fornication, excuse me, adultery with his wife and sent him to the battlefield to be killed. Wow. That's hurt. That's pain. What about a criminal background? Did David run from the law? Yeah. David ran and hid in caves to hide from his father in law, who was also the king. See, Sometimes Bible stories seem so distant, they seem so unrelatable, they seem so distant. But in actuality, the Word of God is a lot more relatable than we give it credit for. It's a lot more real than we ever thought. What about David's parental history? Uh, David's mother was Nitzvah, the daughter of Adadel, and the wife of Jesse. The Talmud relates a complicated story regarding Nitzvah, David's mother, and Jesse because Jesse began to doubt the purity of his ancestry since he was descended from Ruth the Moabite. Due to his doubts, Jesse had trust issues with his wife and Nitzvah came to be despised as an immoral woman. And in David's own family, David grew up as an outcast. So now you can add family rejection to the list. You can add disowning. you can add abandonment. you can add feelings of rejection. Was David ever affected by anyone close to him that committed suicide? Yes, one of his counselors that betrayed him for, that betrayed him after being his counselor for years turned on the king and committed suicide after betraying him. What about physical ailments? Did David suffer from any physical ailments? Yes. Uh, Psalm 31 and 32 says David suffered from a disease of the bones, most likely some form of osteoporosis. So you can add physical ailments to his trauma, right? There's quite a list we've developed up to this point when it comes to crying out to God. What various living situations affected David's spiritual state? He lived in the wilderness. He lived in caves. He experienced the death of a child. Man, I've never lived in a cave, but I wouldn't want to live in a cave. Right? What about, did David have a past trauma or family history of past abuse? Um, David's son was murdered. Um, He... Failed to discipline his children. His son um, and daughter assaulted one another. And there are other points of this story that I can't even get into this sermon because this is a PG-rated sermon. There is layers and layers and layers of pain that David experienced throughout his life. How did David's disobedience at times and lack of healthy spiritual relationships affect others? David ignored Joab's advice and took a national census. David's unauthorized census resulted in a plague which affected the people. Let me ask you this question. Has other people's bad decisions ever affected your life? Yeah, happens all the time. What about the famous story of David when he decided, when he wanted to switch careers and go into temple building? Couldn't do it. He tried because he didn't want to push that envelope with God because he knew better. So, he wanted to build that house and God was like, no, you don't. You don't get that. You don't. You don't. You don't have that privilege. So that's our sermon today, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go back and read Psalm eighty-eight again. Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day. Wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. Mark, that was hopeless. That was depressing. What's the point? Here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't matter what your trauma is. Every promise in the Bible is still true. It doesn't matter what the pain is that you've gone through. You still have a God that is loving, caring, and greater than any trauma and any hurt that you have experienced. It doesn't matter how bad the situation looks. Your trauma is not too big for God. (laughs) What's amazing is that we all want to focus on the pain. There's two types of hurt in this world. There's the hurt that we have caused others... And there's hurt that other people have caused us. And all falls into those two categories. Regardless of all that pain, David was still a man after God's own heart. See, as Christians, we forget that there's no promise in the Bible that says that we're not going to experience the pain. We want to ignore it. We don't want to get honest about it. The gospel doesn't work unless you're honest about your past. <laughs> I told Chris this morning I'd have to go back on you. And I just might. It's okay to experience fear and hopelessness. Because God wants us to be honest with him and ourselves. So that his power through the Holy Spirit can overcome it. The devil wants you to stay stuck in fear. Because if he can lock you up in fear, he's got you right where he wants you. That's the point of today's sermon. That's the message. The message is to be honest about your past. Because if you can't be honest about your past, God can't move you into the future. We ought know everybody wants God's power. Nobody wants the level of spiritual honesty that's required. See, here's the thing: when a Christian hits the raw point of honesty, the devil runs. You know why? Because when a devil hits, excuse me, when a Christian hits raw honesty, you're no longer operating in your power. You're operating in his. Let me say it again. When a Christian gets completely and utterly honest, you are no longer operating in your power. You are operating in his power. Amen. That excites me to know that I am not holding the universe together. It excites me to know that when I hit my knees in prayer and I ask God to help me with my hurt and broken situation, I can cry out to Him and say, Abba, Father, save me from my problems. Because it's no longer about me. It's about him. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we walk away from it. The scripture is we rejoice in suffering because we know suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that he who begins a good work in you will bring it to completion. But in order for the gospel to have its way, In order for there to be a full conversion, we have to be honest about our past. It's not, it's really easy for us to sit here and say, it's everybody else's fault. What do they call that? The blame thrower. Right? We love to pull that out. It's your fault and your fault and your fault. It's not mine. Mm. amazing is how regardless of the trauma, regardless of the hurt, you can apply grace to it. It's funny, I heard this not too long ago, the gospel doesn't do any saving, we're saved by grace, right? Right? The gospel, it's amazing, we get this, the verbiage mixed up. The gospel is the vehicle by which salvation is given to people. The gospel doesn't do the saving. You're saved by grace through faith. You don't get any grace unless you're honest about it. You don't. And in order for us to experience the full grace, you've got to have that raw, hard conversation with God about your past, not just the harm that has been caused to you, but the harm that you've done to others. It's Bidirectional. At that point, it doesn't matter where we've been. What matters is where we're going. As a Christian, we should look Forward to the day when we sit at the Master's feet for all eternity, crying, Abba, Father, I worship you. Right? That day when we have that relationship with Him and there's no more stress, there's no more money problems, there's no more going to work, there's no more betrayal, there's no more trespass. Pesha, the word is Pesha in Hebrew. It means trespass, right? And we always, we grew up, when people grow up in church, they hear the words, but they don't always understand the relatability. We've all trespassed. We've all trespassed. We've trespassed on others, and we have been trespassed against. And I, I, hate, I like using the original definitions, it just mixes up all this preconceived Bible jargon because as a Christian who's on fire for the Lord, when we go out and minister the gospel to people. One of the things that we have a problem with is terminology because the second you say Jesus and salvation to a non-believer, they run. But instead... If you tell them the story of your salvation and say, this is what God brought me through. This is the trauma that I has been in my past. This is the trauma and hurt that I've experienced. But if not for the grace of God, that's how I overcome. In Revelation, it says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we're here. This is the last day's. So if you get to turn on the switch, church, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the Bible promises, the church, in the last days, you get it all. But you're not going to unlock the keys to the engine if you can't get honest. That's required, according to the Scripture. Truth. And love are the phrase that is interchanged all throughout the New Testament. It says to do all things in love and truth and spirit and in truth. And until we realize that the most loving thing God wants for ourselves is for us to be honest with him and you. That's it. That's the key. That's the point.